bakın. And I wanted to begin this episode just sharing about my week and specifically uh, talking about the noticing of being present when engaged in an activity. I've heard this quite often before, I, I believe it's um, Eckhart through one of his talks has mentioned the joy of doing or the joy of of being present while doing an activity or being in the mood of doing and he said it's it's not what you do but how it is done that if it's done with the thinking mind focusing on the result then instead of being present and enjoying the doing of the activity you're going to be focused and worrying about about the end result and there's almost a a desperateness to to achieve something, to get to the result and the process of getting there is lost there is the only thing remembered from that or, or experienced is the stress of not being where you want to be or the stress of worrying that you may not get the outcome you, you wanted so some examples of of how I've experienced the joy of doing is one of them is is driving now most people who know me understand that I'm not I often don't enjoy driving you know with the traffic with <laughs> the speeding of other cars and I usually find it quite stressful and but I noticed this week there was there was a great deal of attention placed on every moment of the driving and it wasn't done with this intention that you know me saying to myself I'm, I'm going to you know put all of my attention on the driving but it was almost surrendering to the driving so for instance when a car would break in front of me I would I would almost the act of, of breaking would almost blend in with the present moment there wouldn't be 
a sudden thought and an action. Okay, I'm, I've got to break the car. Um, everything kind of blended together when accelerating. There was a great, there was almost a delicacy of moving the gear into first, you know, releasing the clutch and pressing down on the accelerator. It was almost things were in rhythm, were in flow. Even unexpected things, someone may, you know, may cut me off or pull out and immediately there'll be, you know, I would, I would gently slow even if there needed to be a quick maneuver such as braking or sharply turning suddenly somehow it would be done in the spaciousness of now there would be almost a almost as if it's choreographed there would be a when something is choreographed often it can be done in a relaxed manner with the practice of it being done and I felt this this energy came up quite naturally for me and I was quite aware that it was not that I've suddenly started to enjoy driving but I enjoyed the presence in the background or the presence around the driving so each moment of operating the car was done was done with complete presence and again it was noticed when when I was reading a book I find reading to be quite stressful as of late just my level of concentration and but there was almost a savouring of, of the reading of the act, the process the mind goes through and there was a natural slowing down as well this was also noticed in the driving and almost when things are in rhythm in alignment it, it finds its own pace and there's a smooth smoothness to it as well and even in the subtlety of reading this was noticed so instead of you know it being hard work, you know, reading each sentence and going through the pages, it was almost, there was a, again, there was a flow to the reading. Perhaps you can use the word surrender as well. You know, the mind wasn't resisting. There wasn't thoughts that, you know, this is getting tiring. And, But even if there was that thought, there'd be enough space around it. There'll be a, almost a noting of that thought, but it wouldn't. It wouldn't interfere in the same way as before. That thought came up in the past. It would almost 
bring me to a halt and, I, and then I'd question whether you know should I continue have I got the energy and even in the simple act of you know of washing my hands there was strangely enough there was an enjoyment in that in how I was standing feeling the body not being in a rush, you know, or washing my hands in soap, just just everything having its own space. It's it's so surprising the effect when you are not in the mind, wanting the next moment. Even the simple act of washing your hands, often in the past, my mind would be, you know, I'd be ready, thinking about what I'm going to do after this okay I'm going to you know make a cup of tea or I need to begin this or do that and there was almost a rushing or wanting the next moment and this may seem quite trivial to the mind but the direct experience of of almost letting go within an activity being completely present and it's taken some time for me to reach this point it's not to say that this this may last and I don't have to worry about it anymore that every doing is going to be you know it's going to be this joyful you know I may go back to dealing with not being present while doing. It's almost as if a maturity has happened, experience has been gained. And for some, it may take time to acknowledge the present in the doing, to relax in into the activity in this way. And for others, it, it may be instantaneous. You may realize suddenly you're enjoying something that you didn't used to enjoy and it's And you can notice that you can bring this same awareness to what could be labelled as a very important activity in the past, or a very simple activity as, as you know, buttering a piece of toast. It's 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 knowing that the activity is only relatively important, but the the, the awareness you bring to it is where is where the lasting, the deep joy arises. And perhaps to be careful not to seek being present in the activity. It's a very, it's almost a very delicate process where 
you're almost opening yourself up to be present, but you're not, you know, actively seeking to be present in an activity. You're not. Your goal is not to. <laughs> in some ways, your goal is not to try and enjoy something. Or try and stay present in something. Often the mind can come in and it can use that as a as a way to come in. Okay, I'm gonna try and be present while I'm doing this and and really the en the energy inside of you is still expecting and wanting something. Versus the letting go, the allowing, the surrendering. Not sure how clearly I've described this, but <laughs> um, but we shall see. Okay, so let's uh, going to return to the reading of a new earth. We've reached the passage in, I think if we are, it's still in chapter 3 or if we're in chapter 4. Let's have a quick look. Yeah, so chapter 4. And we are reading the passage titled The Pathological Ego. In a wider sense of the word, the ego itself is pathological, no matter what form it takes. When we look at the ancient Greek root of the word pathological, we discover just how appropriate that term is when applied to the ego. Although the word is normally used to describe a condition of disease, it is derived from pathos, which means suffering. This is, of course, exactly what the Buddha already dis discovered 2,600 years ago as a characteristic of the human condition. A person in the grip of ego, however, does not recognize suffering as suffering but will look upon it as the only appropriate response in any given situation. The ego in its blindness is incapable of seeing the suffering it inflicts on itself and on others. Unhappiness is an ego-created mental-emotional disease that has reached epidemic proportions. It is the inner equivalent of the environmental pollution of our planet. Negative states such as anger, anxiety, hatred, resentment, discontent, envy, jealousy and so on are not recognized as negative 
but as totally justified, and are further misperceived, not as self-created, but as caused by someone else or some exterior factor. I am holding you responsible for my pain. This is what, by implication, the ego is saying. The ego cannot distinguish between a situation and its interpretation of and reaction to that situation. You might say, what a dreadful day, without realising that the cold, the wind and the rain, or whatever condition you react to, are not dreadful. They are as they are. What is dreadful is your reaction, your inner resistance to it, and the emotion that is created by that resistance. In Shakespeare's words, there is nothing either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. What is more, suffering or negativity is often misperceived by the ego as pleasure, because up to a point the ego strengthens itself through it. For example, anger or resentment strengthen the ego enormously by increasing the sense of separateness, emphasizing, emphasizing the otherness of others and creating a seemingly unassailable, fortress-like mental position of rightness. If you were able to observe the physiological changes that take place inside your body when possessed by such negative states, how they adversely affect the functioning of the heart, the, di the digestive and immune systems, and countless other bodily functions, it would become abundantly clear that such states are indeed pathological, are forms of suffering and not pleasure. Whenever you are in a negative state, there is something in you that wants the negativity, that perceives it as pleasurable, or that believes it will get you what you want. Otherwise, who would want to hang on to negativity, make themselves and others miserable, and create disease in the body? So, whenever there is negativity in you, if you can be aware at that moment that there is something in you that takes pleasure in it or believes it has a useful purpose, you are becoming aware of the ego directly. The moment this happens, your identity has shifted from ego to awareness. This means the ego is shrinking and awareness is growing. If in the midst of negativity you are able to realise, at this moment I am creating suffering for myself it will be enough to raise you above the limitations of conditioned egoic states and reactions. 
it will open up infinite possibilities which come to you when there is awareness. Other vastly more intelligent ways of dealing with any situation. You will be free to let go of your unhappiness the moment you recognize it as unintelligent. Negativity is not intelligent. It is always of the ego. The ego may be clever, but it is not intelligent. Clever, cleverness pursues its own little aims. Intelligence sees the larger whole in which all things are connected. Cleverness is motivated by self-interest and it is extremely short-sighted. Most politicians and business people are clever. Very few are intelligent. Whatever is attained through cleverness is short-lived and always turns out to be eventually self-defeating. Cleverness divides, intelligence includes. Okay, I'm going to um, end the episode here. Just noticing my energy is quite is quite low, so perhaps that's just something to note and and for it to be okay to uh, to end the episode at this point. So perhaps we can just just take in the, the passage that we've read. And something that jumped out to me was the the passage about the physiological changes that can take place in the body when it is dealing with a negative state in regards to affecting you know the functioning of the heart the digestive and immune systems and perhaps in this way if you're able to to almost feel it more when you are in a negative state then it would almost break you out of the spell as Eckhart says here that whenever you are in a negative state there is something in you that wants the negativity that perceives it as pleasurable or believes it will get you what you want. And Eka 
Mount says, when you find yourself in that negative state, at that moment, if you can bring your awareness, that something in you may take pleasure or believes it has a useful purpose, then you are becoming aware of the ego directly. And in this awareness of the ego, there is a shift from ego to awareness. And without your attention on ego, Eckhart goes on to say the ego shrinks and awareness grows. Thank you for joining me for today's episode. I wish you well and we will speak again very soon. Take care.